So this is our play-by-play podcast, and I am not only grateful but honored to be in the presence of the television voice of the Phillies, Tom McCarthy, and the television voice of the Flyers, Jim Jackson. Gentlemen, I have long admired your work, but I want to start with one thing. Describe exactly how you've let your personal appearance just go. (laughs) (laughs) I need a haircut. (laughs) Uh, well, first of all, for Tom and I, you're lucky. <laughs> yeah, really. I, I actually cut mine in the backyard the other day. I literally, because uh, my clip, my wireless clippers are in my bag at the ballpark because oh. they came back from spring trading, and I was like, well, I'm not going to get. It. I don't need anything in there. So the only clippers I have are plug-in clippers. So I ran an extension cord from my deck out <laughs> to my backyard, so I wouldn't get hair anywhere. And I'm sitting there. I literally, it took me about a minute and a half to get the whole thing done. So that's fine. I have no issues with that. I think it's um <laughs> I think it's my nose hair, my eyebrows and my ears that oh boy I can't oh, get control of. To, you're not gonna start to comb your nose hair, are you? I mean you'll take I hope not. I hope not. We're, we're bordering on too much information already, boys. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> when you're cooped up for what, three weeks and who knows how much longer that you, you tend to move in this direction, I think. True. Very true. You look very uh, well, comfortable. I know, Zoo, I, I, I have a feeling you're the kind of guy who you, you can adjust to anything. <laughs> uh, I am type B. That is correct. And uh, although I'm type A in in my work, and I'll go into that, but uh, generally speaking, I would say my it, there's a little bit of Groundhog Day here. So I'll get up, let's say, around yes. 8, 830, turn on the news, make some coffee, do a little work, answer some emails. I think NBC Sports Philadelphia has done a really good job, guys, and I know you're involved somewhat. We've been uh, we've been wrapping around M- NBA 2K simulation games. I don't know if you played yeah, those simulation are cool. games. Yeah, those are cool. Yeah, they're really yeah. cool. And then uh, the replays we've been tweeting around, where I yeah. can uh, you know relive some really good moments. What have you guys been up to? Similar to that, uh, I actually voiced uh, one of those uh, simulated games the other day. I think it's going to air pretty soon. That was mm. interesting. Um, How do you do that? How do they do that? They actually send us the file, and Jones and I sync it up, watch it at the same time. He's were you know in his farm, and I'm <laughs> in my house, so we have to make sure we're right time wise. But we sync it up, and we just call it. And uh, so you know, it, it's a little tough. We didn't have the uh, player indicators. My son has the game; he's playing all the time, and he has the name pop up as soon as the guy touches the puck. That sure oh, would have helped that's me. Helpful. Yeah, I was misidentifying guys left and right. But anyhow, it was uh, it was fun. And uh, also those classic games, as, as you talked about, been tweeting around some of those and um, doing some podcasts. That, that's about it, work-wise. How about you, T-Mac? Yeah, I've been, um, uh, I've been doing a lot of stuff around the house, um, you know, just try to keep the kids busy. We built a batting cage for my son who's still playing, uh, built a field hockey cage, uh, which is actually kind of entertaining, uh, for my daughter who's going to play field hockey in college uh, eventually. And, uh, you know, but doing a lot of interviews, I, I'm doing these these sort of 10 minute with T-Mac interviews that um, the Phillies will eventually put up on their their site. And it's been kind of cool. You know, I've, I've talked to it's been a real weird range of, of people that I've talked to, uh, you know, from Jay Wright to Rod Woodson to really? David, David Boreanaz uh, to I don't know. I, I mean, the list goes on and on to, to Mike Schmidt. Schmidt, when I talked to Schmidt. We were using something like you guys and we're talking about on right now, and his head kept going lower and lower and lower and lower. <laughs> <laughs> it was really funny. 
Um, but yeah, just I mean, just trying to spend some time with with the kids and the family, and uh, taking advantage of that part of this, and watching a lot of old games, whether it be old basketball games uh, or old baseball games. And I'm I'm with you, Zoo. I, I think that last week when the holiday stuff went on, I mean, it was awesome. And you know, for some of it, I hadn't seen in a while or hadn't even seen a full game of. But to sit and watch the holiday one was really kind of cool to relive that. What's it like to watch yourself, to listen to yourself? And, I, and, I, and I'll start with me, and I'll say that um, for me, I go back to the movie Black Swan with Natalie Portman. And I don't know if you guys saw that, but basically the, thumbnail with, yeah, basically the thumbnail with that was here was a ballerina who's given uh, the primo part in a major ballet. And uh, she is so concerned about coming off and doing it perfectly that she starts to hallucinate and, and dream about different things. And her life literally becomes a nightmare. So I, I think as a professional, that's what I do. I try to achieve all the time the unachievable, which is to be perfect. So I'm kind of cursed with that when I listen to myself. Oh, you should have said that. Oh, you should have said that. I do that what all the time. Like, what is it, what's it like for you guys when you watch yourself? Well, I, I, I don't, I don't know how JJ feels about it, but I used to – I'll watch games from when I first transitioned from radio to TV because I was explaining to this yesterday to somebody. So for the first part of my career up until I came back to the Phillies, I was 80% radio and 20% TV. It might have even been less than that TV-wise. When I came back to the Phillies, I started transitioning – to TV mostly and only a little bit of radio. So now it's, I think, 90% TV, football, basketball, baseball, and 10% radio, which is some football games and some basketball games. So the one thing I noticed, which I'm, I'm like you are, Zoo, I'm very critical of myself, is I'm like, man, just stop talking so much. And, and that was early <laughs> on. I mean, it really was. Uh, and I would listen to my games. I would listen to my games every... I would say every third day I would listen to games when I was first getting when I came back to Philadelphia from the Mets and started doing television because I was trying to get my pacing down so much. Um, but I listen now and I sit there and think, oh, geez, oh, man, I was doing radio on TV for the first couple of years. Mm -hmm. I was doing radio mm -hmm. on TV, yeah. which you guys, we all know it's different. I mean, it's it's less is more on TV as much as you can. Uh, I think, JJ, I think yours is a little different because with hockey, I think you. You know, you have a rhythm, yeah. which I think is really good. It's um, that smooth rhythm of, of making sure that we know where everything is. Yeah, well, I mean, Gene Hart kind of set the tone here of radio call on television in Philadelphia. Yeah. So I'm not going to really mess with that. I do pretty close to a radio call. Not exactly. I remember I had to fill in for Tim Saunders uh, one game when, when he missed and did radio after being in TV for 10 or 11 years. And I was like out of breath because oh, yeah. I was talking. So I, I, you do talk more in radio, even in hockey, but I, I understand what you're saying in terms of that sport. You know, when it comes to watching myself, uh, as with you guys, I used to do more of it when I was first transitioning to television. Uh, as I've gotten along, I, I to use the, the black swan analogy, I, I think there's a little bit of paralysis by analysis. If I start watching every broadcast thinking, oh, yeah. God, I could have said this. And if, if you do watch a broadcast shortly after it's aired, you know what was going through your mind, right? So you're even more critical. I, I wanted to say this. I should have said that. I could have done this differently. I, I watched a game the other day, a classic game from about, I don't know, 10 or 11 years ago, 2010. So it was 10 years ago. And I wasn't as critical of myself. I couldn't remember what was going through my mind at that time when I made the calls. And I actually mm. thought I, I was better in retrospect 10 years ago in terms of not 
thinking about what I could have said, what I, what I didn't say, that kind of thing. But in general, I agree with you guys. It's, it's tough to watch yourself. I hear it from people who are anchors and anybody in this business. It's tough to watch yourself because we're all pretty self-critical. Yeah, and I think so let me say, I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I just wanted to react to just a couple of things that you guys said. The first is that you're, what I always tell people is if you do something in September, watch it in July. Yeah. So to your point, you're, you're much better and you're much more objective. The other thing is a couple of years ago, Jimmy, to the story that you told, we had a situation where we lost picture in Denver and the game is coming down the stretch and it's really uh, close. And I started doing radio play by play and it was like, whoa, what? Not that I had yeah. before, but I, I, I did want to veer off in, a, in another direction because I, I have deep admiration for you guys because, you know, we all put our heart and soul into every single thing that we do because I think we're all really grateful for what it is that we do do. And by the time April, May, June comes around, I'm on fumes. I am only too happy to have a few months off. You guys, you guys, not only do you do it year round, but to me, baseball itself has to be so exhausting. I mean, you're showing up to the ballpark almost every day. Tell me how you guys are able to do it throughout an entire calendar year. Well, I, I for me, Zoo, I, I think it's because I've been doing it that way since I first started, if that makes any sense. So I would do minor league baseball with the Trenton Thunder. Then I would do... Rutgers football or Princeton football, depending on what you know time of my life I was in. And then I would do either Princeton basketball or St. Joseph's basketball, depending again on what time of life I was in. So I was kind of in that rhythm of just doing and you know making a living. I mean, minor league baseball doesn't, didn't pay that much back then. It certainly doesn't pay much now. I watch my oldest guy, how he struggles with that. Um, but I, I've tried to the last few years to back off a little bit, you know, just to, because I've enjoyed my time sort of away more because I can sort of re, you know, re-energize a little bit. But I, I just think it was, first of all, out of necessity that I would do it. And now it's habitual that I would do it. Um, and it's hard because, as JJ knows, and you guys know, I, I have these great companies asking me to do these great games. And I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. But it's not as much as it used to be. It's just, I think it's more habitual. I, I do find myself, I'll be 52 this year where I'm like, Okay, I need a little bit more of a break than I did, <laughs> let's say, 10 years mm -hmm. ago. How about you, JJ? I, I, uh, it's interesting because uh, baseball, as you said, is every day. And so I find that to be more of a grind than hockey, even though maybe a specific hockey game is more of a grind and the tempo is higher and all that. But uh, there's lots of days off in a hockey season. You know, they say, oh, we're playing – we're playing uh, four games in six nights, and that's a tough stretch in hockey, a very tough stretch in hockey where <laughs> that would be an easy week right in baseball. So uh, I, I do find that during baseball, maybe August, I start to get a little bit uh, the, the old dog days. And, but then for me, it goes into September where I'm actually doing two sports. And then uh, if, uh, if the uh, Phillies make the playoffs for, for a stretch there, I was doing two sports into October. Uh, <laughs> and then the other end, obviously, for hockey, if the Flyers are in the playoffs in April and May, I get to do two sports and there's a crossover. That's hectic. That's where I'm running around. Phillies have been always great about moving me to, to wherever the Phillies were in the playoffs to get me there around the Flyers schedule. Uh, that That's when it's actually hectic, right? I'm, I'm going back and forth. But at that point, you're talking either April, May, as I said, or October. It's the start of the Flyers season in October. It's the playoffs for the Phillies. You're going to be pumped about those. The adrenaline carries you and the same in the spring. So at that time, it's the most exciting time of the year. Beginning of season for one, end of season for the other playoffs. 
So there's never fatigue there. The fatigue's more perhaps toward the end of, of the two seasons, uh, August in, in baseball and let's say in, in hockey, maybe February. But but uh, I also realized, and you guys probably did this for a long time in my life, uh, I wasn't just doing sports broadcasting. Back in, in the formative years, as we say, right out of school, I was selling radio oh, and yeah. going to do a game. So yeah. I always try to give myself a, a base when my, my feet hit the floor, the more you say, wow, I've got my you know, 11th straight game for the Phils and I'm doing the flyer stuff. Now it's a lot of work. I could be selling radio again, which I did not like. Yeah, I agree uh, with that. So, so we, we really have it good no matter how tough we, we might perceive it to get yeah. I think we do. Yeah, I think yeah. we do. I remember the same stuff, JJ. I mean, I remember being the, the vice president of the Trenton Thunder and having to ah, do yes. all these other things while I was broadcasting. And I remember the day that I decided I did not want to be an administrator anymore. I had accepted the job to be the GM of the Lakewood Blue Claws, who the Phillies ah, was the Phillies wow. single A affiliate. And I was going to give up all broadcasting. I was 31 years old, and I remember being, I remember being in the bathroom, and I remember having to fix this toilet on the concourse because for some <laughs> reason, I had fixed it the day before. I truly have no idea what I did. So I'm in there, and, and I, it's it's like 98 degrees, and it's sweating. Ugh. And my partner at the time was Andy Freed, who does the Tampa Bay Devil Rays games now. Andy was excellent. And, and I hear him say on the over the loudspeaker, because it, it was piped into the bathroom, we got to the top of the fourth inning. Tom McCarthy's supposed to be doing play-by-play, -play, but I have no idea where he is. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sitting there on my knees trying to fix this toilet. I'm like, uh, I can't do this anymore. And that, uh, honestly, I... That was the day. I mean, I have such an appreciation for all parts of the you know the world when it comes to sports, the marketing part of it, the ushers, all that stuff, uh, the grounds crew, everything like that. Because I did all that when I was at the Thunder, but I almost gave it all up to be mm. to run a minor league baseball team, and I would have been perfectly happy. But I think worrying about whether the hot dogs were cooked, the soda was flat, you're allowed to bring water into the stadium. I don't know if I would have been able to handle that as much as I'm able to handle this. Yeah, so. people don't realize, right? Minor league baseball, you do everything. Everything. But it was yeah. great. It was a great education yeah. for all of us. It was a great education so, for all of us. So I want you guys to think about your personal Mount Rushmore. And I'm gonna I'm gonna give you my four guys and and I'll give you a quick thumbnail as to why. Mm -hmm. And I'll start with the guy who's probably least known, and I'm not sure if you heard of him. Guy was named his name was Bill Bransom. He was a uh, newsman. He did sports. He worked for the all-news radio station. He actually was a color commentator for the Eagles for a while. And I was his intern. And he was one of those guys who, when there was the reserve running back for Arkansas State, and it was 11 o'clock at night, he made you call the sports information director <laughs> at home and woke him up to find out how to pronounce his name. Okay. Yeah. That, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. So so that was him. Uh, the late Bill Campbell, just for his excitement and the, and the drama that, that he gave it, which to me was uh, unbelievable. Uh, and two hockey guys, Gene Hart, who uh, was just unbelievable in terms of his excitement, uh, the amount of homework that he did, and, of course, the drama that he gave broadcast and all the passion. And uh, one guy who is uh, still living in um, Jimmy, with all due respect, you know, although I think you may go here is probably uh, the number one hockey announcer on the planet. And that would be Mike Emmerich. And the yes, one thing does. he told me, we were talking before about the difference between radio and TV. The thing that he taught me was that you could come up with 
10 different ways to say the same thing. Right. And I think for, for those of us who are on TV and people can already see the action, what else can you say? What can you add? What can you do to add to the entertainment value, the information value, the very uh, fabric of the game without being redundant? So those if, are my points. If you used zoo, if you used ladled in a Sixers game yet? Ladled? I have, I have, <laughs> That's I a doctor. Have a <laughs> or, or, a, or a hatchet drive. <laughs> he is amazing. So, I, so I'll leave it to you guys. Who, who's on your Mount Rushmore and why? Back, you go first. I'm still. Well, um, my, mine obviously, I, I, and I, I and I, I don't mean it to be this way, but mine leans heavily toward baseball. Um, you know, first and foremost, uh, the guy that I listened to mostly when I was growing up uh, was Bob Murphy from the Mets, and I think what stood out for for me with him is the pleasantry of his voice, how pleasant his voice was, and how. He was able to describe the cumulus clouds um, when he was broadcasting a game. To me, that was, you know, th that was radio. And I would be able to I remember when he went over from radio to TV while doing the Mets games, it ticked me off because I wasn't listening to radio as much. But then I would start listening and I'd realize, man, it's it's pretty good. Uh, so that was the first one. Uh, Ernie Harwell was another one. Uh, now, Ernie, if you haven't met, if, if you guys never got a chance to meet him, I, I I feel bad because he was incredible. I was doing stats for CBS radio and Ernie was doing a game and I was up in Toronto doing stats and he could not have been nicer. I was doing Princeton football at the time and I was telling him that I was having trouble keeping stats while also broadcasting the game because we had no stat monitors. We had no we had no stat guys or anything like that. And he took out this yellow legal pad and showed me how he kept score and stats while doing a game. And I used that up mm. until probably about eight years ago, nine really? years ago. Yes. When I would be doing Westwood one games on radio, I would still use it. It was such an amazing, amazing thing. And he could not have been, he could not have been nicer every time I asked him a question about how to do something. Uh, the other one is Vin Scully. Uh, and Vin, mm. you know, was that way when I was younger, when I would listen to his games. And even as I became a broadcaster, when I made the transition, uh, to television. Um, he was such a huge help to me. He would ask, answer any questions that I had, any questions I would have. Uh, and one of the things that I don't know if people know this or not, my dad passed away three years ago, and I used to let him listen when he was really at his last few days, the, listen to the rosary that was said by Vin Scully, and it was amazing. And mm. the day before he passed away, I got a phone call from Vin Scully wow. checking on my dad, wow. and just checking to see uh, how he was and, um, you know, and how he was feeling. And he could not have been, I mean, I leaned on a lot of people when I transitioned to TV and Vin was one of those guys that I leaned on and he was unbelievable. And the last one is HK. I mean, and it's for a lot of reasons. I always feel like I'm good with people. I always feel like I, I always give time to people and I've always been taught that from my father. Uh, but to watch Harry do it and besides the way he did the games, but to watch Harry do it sort of boosted me to where I am now as far as how I, I handle a lot of different things, even away from the field uh, more than anything else. I certainly would Jimmy, not. Jimmy, before you go, yep, Jimmy, before sure. you go, just a, you said Vince Scully, T-Mac, just, just a quick Vince Scully story. And then, and then Jimmy, it's all yours. So I'm the co-author of a textbook on sports casting and I wanted to interview Vince Scully. It mm -hmm. took me a year and a half to get the interview. And I finally got it at Dodger stadium. It was August. It was before a game. And I was standing next to him and he was greeting other people and the other announcers came in for the other team. And he said, boys, it's good to see you. And mm. remember this, 
It's not whether you win or lose. It's time of game. <laughs> I just figured. I just figured as a couple of baseball guys, you'd appreciate yeah. that. All right. Oh, Jimmy no, he's the best. Yeah, I mean, interviewing him. Uh, there aren't many interviews I've done, and uh, you guys, I'm sure, have interviewed some great people in, in, in all sports athletes. But in interviewing Vint, I was actually nervous. I, mm-hmm. I remember sitting down as during the, the playoffs, T-Mac, uh, the championship series back uh, uh, during the glory years, and and. Uh, he took time before uh, you know a game, and he he's just so gracious. So he would be on any list, as would HK, as would Doc. But I'm going to go back to when I was actually a kid, although uh, Vin and HK were announcing back then, but but uh, not nationally so much. So I, I grew up in upstate New York, so I'm another Bob Murphy guy. T Mac uh, absolutely loved his call of baseball. You knew five seconds after tuning in whether the Mets were up or down in the game, yeah. but uh, he was the best. And just a quick story on him. Uh, in the 80s, I was at Syracuse and had a bunch of kids, and Craig Miravini was one of my roommates. Uh, we went to Chicago to do a Syracuse-Northwestern game, and the Cubs were playing the Mets, and it was actually 84, I believe. So the, the Mets were just getting back into some form of contention. Strawberry was there, and Gooden was just arriving. And they played a huge series at Wrigley. We went to see the game, of course, Craig was also a big Murphy guy. So our big thing was we got to meet Bob Murphy. We got to meet Bob Murphy. Unfortunately, the Cubs won that game. It pretty much dashed any hopes the Mets had of, of winning the division that year. So it's, it's a real downer. Now we're, it's, we're after the game. And as you know, T-Mac and, and Wrigley, fans can kind of wait for the Dodgers just to come out. And oh, yeah. They just have nowhere to go. So uh, we kind of staked out the booth and, and waited for him. And I'm thinking, wow, they just lost a devastating game. Not sure he's going to be in a great mood. I mean, he could not have been nicer to us. And what school do you go to? He said, Syracuse. Oh, good school, good school. And he was just, it was great for me. I mean, I had watched and listened to him uh, throughout my childhood leading up to college to, to actually meet the guy. And he was just as nice off the air as he was on. And that, that meant a lot to me. He was my baseball guy. Hockey was Dan Kelly. It wasn't Gene only because Gene wasn't on up in upstate New York. I didn't see a lot of Gene as a, as a kid. I love his work, obviously, as I've seen his work now that I've come down here. But but uh, Dan Kelly, his goal call, uh, just his excitement level, he just he just nailed everything. So he was my hockey guy. Pat Summerall was my football guy. I mean, to me, you hear Pat Summerall's voice, you knew it was a big game. Yeah. And, and uh, it was something I don't do well enough to this day. He minimized, right? He didn't say that much. He, I, I, there are times when there's a great moment, and I, I watch it back as we were just talking about, and I'm saying, just shut up, Jim. Just let the moment play out. And, you know, That's Summerall the second just shut up I've heard in this time. <laughs> well, just so you know, I, I had another word in between just and shut up when I used to say it to myself. So. <laughs> this is a family podcast. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, yeah, I mean, he was my football guy. And then basketball was Marv Albert, who uh, I just loved. You know, he had a yes and all that, uh, Zoo. But, I mean, he, he, he just – I loved watching him call a game. So those are my guys growing up. But there's been so many since. And obviously you guys mentioned three of them. Uh, Doc now is the the, the best uh, I've ever watched at hockey. He's just, I mean, the game just ramps up to another level of excitement when he's got the call. It doesn't even matter if it's an exciting game. He somehow makes it exciting. Yeah. Just as gracious again off mic as he is on. You know, Azu, let me cut in for a second. So JJ's talking about um... – you know, the minimizing and things like that. So when I came back to, to doing TV, I was in New York for two years. And I remember before I left for New York, um, my boss at the time told me that I needed to downplay the other team's home runs, big moments. And I have a, I have a loud voice, so it was hard to do that sometimes. So um, 
I go to New York and Billy Wagner in his first game save opportunity for the Mets against the uh, the Washington Nationals gives up a home run to Ryan Zimmerman and I kind of poo pooed it. And by the time I got in my car, I'm driving and I'm listening to it on the radio back and I'm getting killed for my call of poo pooing, like making it not that big of a deal. Yeah. And I got a, before I even got to the George Washington Bridge, I had a phone call from my boss saying, hey, what did you think of the game? I said, yeah, it was kind of exciting till the end. It's a shame that Billy, Billy blew it. He goes, yeah. What's up with that call? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, minimizing it. I'm like, uh, well, and I explained to him why I did it that way. He goes, yeah, we don't do it that way here. So then I would ramp it back up again. And then I would transition back to Philadelphia. And I, I felt that I was sort of in the middle. I was caught. Like I couldn't get it to where I wasn't making it a big deal when a game-winning home run for the other team. And I listened to you. I listened to tapes of you on uh, Zoo on how you handled when the other team would do something oh boy. that was – and somebody had told me, because you should listen to Mark Zumoff to do it. So I did. And, and that's how I got my cadence to the point where I felt like it was not to, you know, not to the um, – not to, to the point of homerism, but to not make it, eh, that's the other team hit a home run, that type of thing. But do it in sort of an entertaining way. You know, that's... Uh, that's uh, so typically what I'll do is if the other guy hits a game-winning shot, I'm excited, but I'm like, oh! like that Yes, kind of, exactly, oh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. that kind of thing. But yeah, if, I, this if, is if they do it in subject. the middle of a game, if they do it in the middle of a game, like a home run in the middle of a game, you're like, oh, no, something like that. You know, it's just, it's downplaying it more and more. So I, I used to hate hearing announcers do that. Uh, and I got to Philadelphia and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I got, you know, I, I got excited. Tamo Solani had a spectacular goal against the Flyers in my very first year. And I got into it. And this was radio. I, I got into it and uh, afterwards got killed uh, as, as you were getting I think killed. It's, I think it's harder for you guys to do. I honestly do because the pace of your game is so much quicker. I, yeah. I do. I think anyway. I don't know how you guys. I, I, I kind of mastered what Zoo is talking about. You you get a little excited, but there's still that disappointment in your voice too. Of oh no, yeah. Uh, I mean, H was uh, he, he could do that for sure. I I, I just uh, I, I got you know, Miss Ed Snyder. God rest his soul. I mean, he he was uh, so important to me and uh, reason I'm here. But. Uh, he didn't like the fact that I would get uh, mm. a little excited at the opposition scoring, and he'd let people yeah. know. So I get you know, it. You know where your checks are. You know who signs your checks. So you know, I really downplayed it for a while. I've gotten back to, as you say, team. I trying to find that happy medium. It's it's not one an easy one to find in this city because it's a very passionate. Well, family. I also did a couple of national games where I was trying to be right down the middle on Fox and. I remember there was one game where oh. Cole Hamels hit the second deck home run, and he just – it was off the bat gone, and I knew it, and I was just right on it. And then later on in the game, Will, uh, Matt Kane from the, the Giants hit this pop-up out to left field in Philadelphia, and I'm calling it as if the Pat Burrell was going to make the catch, and it just barely got into the flower bed. And the Giants fans were killing me because I gave Cole Hamels such a big call, and it was like, oh, what a homer he was. And it really wasn't that way. I was like – well, the Hamels one was like a second deck home run. The other one went just into the flower bed. It would have been caught in most places. <laughs> hey, you know, a good right. story on that. John Davidson was doing a game in Philadelphia for Fox, a playoff game between the Flyers and Rangers. John Davidson at the time was a Rangers announcer, and it was a really a, a game that had two or three fights. It was a very emotional game. Uh, Flyers eventually won. I was doing post game radio with 
Steve Coates, and we got all these calls from Flyers fans saying, how can they put John Davidson on this game? He's a rangers announcer. He's completely biased. And I basically said, listen, I was at the game, so I didn't see the broadcast, but I know J.D., and he's as professional as they come. And we stuck up for him. So that night I get a call from J.D., and uh, he said, hey, I was listening on the way out of town on, on uh, WIP, and uh, I wanted to thank you for having my back. And I said, well, J.D., I didn't actually hear the broadcast or see the broadcast, mm-hmm. but I know your work, and I knew you did a good job. He goes, well, I thank you for that. And he says, you know, I got to Trenton a little bit on that, and I started to lose IP, so I put the fan in New York on. I was getting killed in New York for being too pro-Philadelphia. <laughs> over <Billy. laughs> Now that's funny. All right, so here, yeah. so here you go. So we're, we're, I mean, we'd all rather be working, but we're laughing. We're having a good time. I'm sure that we are all very grateful for what it is that we do. I mean, come on. How many people come up to us? And I know the answer, and I haven't asked you guys this question. Come on, boy, I'd love to do what you do, or how did you Mm. get into this business? So for all of us, there's there's a first job where you break into. And I will tell you that for the first five years of my life, I was a radio newsman. And because that's the way I was able to break into the business, and quite Mm -hmm. frankly, I thought that that was going to be my future, even though I harbored this desire to become a sportscaster and and eventually made the transition. So there's always a lot of great stories to tell, kind of like the toilet story you told earlier, T-Mac, about your first job. So in my case, I got a job in Trenton, New Jersey, 1260 AM WBUD. And they were an all new... Back in the day, what they had was they had a network that they could make their all news during the day. And they had in, in their in their one hour circle, so to speak, in their one hour window, they would they would do local inserts of the local news. And that was their programming. So this national service went away and they were somehow trying to fill the void with local news. And they did, and the guy was trying to sell the station. The equipment was in bad shape. So they were hiring people to literally rip and read. So what you would do is you would come in and back then it wasn't digital. There was a big uh, roll of paper and it was a teletype and it printed the news and you would quite literally rip it and read it. So I got hired for 110 bucks a week to rip and read the news. I would come in six in the morning, work six to nine. Then I was off for three hours. Don't ask me what I did. And then from noon to three, I would come back and I would read the news again. And they were paying me 110 bucks a week, except for the fact that for the first six weeks, I didn't see a paycheck. And I was beginning to wonder, geez, is this something I want to do for a living until I got that paycheck? And I'm looking at this thing and saying, wait a second. I just got paid to talk on the radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coolest thing ever. And from that point, I was hooked. And the station was off the air more than it was on the air. And it was it was a garbage operation. And I had to go to the Department of Labor and Industry to get my back pay. But suffice it to say, <laughs> I got paid. And, and there are there are plenty of stories, you know, about this first job and other early jobs. So uh, give me a give me a taste of what it was like to have your first job in the business. Well, mine was with uh, the competing station in Trenton, WTTM uh, to WBUD. So I, went to I also went to 20. <laughs> yep, at the Carter at Arms uh, apartment complex. At the, uh, 332 the West State Street. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, so I would, I, I, there was a couple things I did. First and foremost, I did, I was a writer for the Trenton Times. So I got cut from the baseball team in Trenton State, which is the only reason I went to college. Um, I was a biology major, was a really bad biology major, uh, <laughs> and started writing. And the writing led to me broadcasting because I would be interviewed about certain high school players. 
I wound up doing on WTTM the Trenton State College football games. That was the first thing I did. But then I would buy time. I'd buy buy time to, to do high school games and uh, some college games as well. Uh, the first talk show I did was with Big Daddy Graham. He was <laughs> getting into broadcasting, and he was doing like a newsy talk show. And I was his sports guy, and he used to call me the sports moron because he said <laughs> I used to know too much about sports. <laughs> but that was the same, same, same city zoo. Same kind of job, high school games, running wire 100 yards from the athletic director's office to center court. Sometimes I had no idea whether I was on the air or not. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'd be broadcasting in the stands with the fans. But I will say to say this, there are two natural highs that I've had in my life. Writing on deadline for the Trenton Times, covering a, a college or a professional baseball game or basketball game, and being behind the microphone. And I said to myself the first time I did it, I got done. I went, wow, I got to do this the rest of my life because it was so exhilarating to do it. Ah, well, now I can't say I had the same reaction to my first job in in uh, radio. Uh, it was not in Trenton, believe it or not, guys. It was in, it was in Utica, New York, which same is my thing. hometown. Yeah, pretty much. It was my, in my hometown. I had just gotten out of school in Syracuse and I got an internship there. It was a paid internship. And my first duty in which I actually was on the air or at least in the room where the, the broadcast started was as the producer slash anchor. But I really didn't say a whole lot of a Polish radio show. And there was a woman by the name of Maria. Really Kowalski. was the same thing as Trenton. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maria Kowalski was her name. I'll never forget her. A sweet lady. But I couldn't understand a word she was saying. She was speaking in Polish. She would point. I'd start the record. Polka usually, and away we went. I would give the IDs. I would give an occasional read of a of a spot in English, and that was my very first job. Was it exhilarating at the time? No. Was I thinking, wow, this is a long way from what I want to do? But let me quickly say that is really why I'm where I am now because I eventually wrote a proposal up as an intern there for that station for a weekend sports talk show. They at that time played mm-hmm. music around all their sports. They went for it and they said. You be the host. They said, yeah, that was that was part of the reason why I put that proposal together. That's I cool. mean, I had to work from noon to midnight on Saturday and Sunday. So right out of school, my social life was kind of shot. But there I was. I was doing a talk show around sporting events. And to make a long story short, uh, basically, the sports director eventually left. They hired me as an assistant because there were so many hours. He left about six months later. I became the sports director, did some basketball, some football some baseball, some hockey. And then a year later, the Devils moved their AHL team there. We got the rights. I'm doing the AHL, and that's why I got the flyer. That's cool. That's so, really cool. Yeah. Wow. That's, kind of, yeah. that's, wow. that's like me with Trenton. I was yeah. doing stuff there, and the Thunder came, and they're like, here, be the radio guy. Right. Yeah, and be the right. PR guy. And be the media guy. So, Maria Kowalski, I owe you a lot. <laughs> so here you go. So now, now what I'd like to touch on is, is how we got our current gigs, because people always ask me, how did you become the voice of the Sixers? So um, I'm going to try to condense mine to a minute. But I was still in the news business. I was working for KOW News Radio as a freelancer. And a friend of mine left to become the PR guy for an indoor soccer team, the Philadelphia Fever, late 70s, early 80s. So he helped me to get that job. We auditioned. But I'd never done TV. I'd done some radio stuff, but I never did TV. So I'll tell this quick story, and then I'll, I'll blast into the, in, into the present. Uh, I was given a one-game audition, and you guys will love this story, I think. I was given a one-game audition by the program director at Channel 17. He said, if you pass the audition, we'll give you the TV games. Otherwise, we'll have to do it, give it to somebody else. 
So the audition came. That the team was playing. The Philadelphia Fever. They were playing at Hartford. The game was on a Sunday afternoon. Saturday night. I'm studying. I'm nervous. All of a sudden, I get a call from him. He says, "Your regular color analyst, who we were going to pair you with, he can't make the game. So we have a fill-in." Harry Callis. <laughs> <laughs> That's not intimidating. Well, it, right. So here I am. I'm a kid. I, I grew up in Philly listening to Harry. And now I'm going to be sitting next to him for a one-game audition for the rest of my, you know, my sports casting career is going to be determined by this. And to this day, I think that the PD sent him up there to make sure that I didn't do you know what. You know, just uh, totally, that's so great. Totally right. And, and God bless Harry. God rest his soul. Uh, One of the greatest ever. What did he know about indoor soccer? But he was a seasoned broadcaster, and I think yeah. that he was there. So I, I won that audition, and I and I did the rest of the season. A few of their games were on Prism. I, trans, I transitioned to Prism, and then I got hired to do halftimes, and I did that for 13 years. And in 94, I got hired to uh, do what wow. I'm doing now. So uh, T-Mac, how'd you well, get Philly's so gig? Yeah, so I was uh, I was doing the Trenton Thunder games. I had, I had stopped being the vice president or the assistant GM back in 2000, and I just was the broadcaster, and I was hosting a show on ESPN Radio, which was ESPN in Philadelphia, they called it, but it was actually in Trenton, New Jersey. So I got a call from Rory McNeil saying, hey, listen, we're having tryouts for the pre- and post-game gig. There's no play-by-play. And I was like, okay, he good, but we're looking for somebody to do the pre- and post-game gig. This guy, uh, as you all know, he goes, this guy, Scott Graham, said you're pretty good. And I was like, well, I appreciate that. And I thank Scotty to, the, for, to this day. I'm doing, I did five games in September. And the fifth game I did, I was up against a few other people, was the night of the Emmy Awards, the Mid-Atlantic Regional Emmy Awards. And I didn't tell anybody, but I was up for an Emmy that year for play-by-play for the Thunder mm-hmm. games. But I didn't want to go to the Emmy Awards because I wanted to do the Phillies games. So I did the pre- and post-game show, and in the post-game show, I'm doing it. I'm in the middle of the post-game show, and Rory McNeil comes back. He's standing five feet away from me, and he's got his arms crossed like this. Like, and I'm, I'm crossing my arms. I know people can't see it. And he's got this, this look on his face, and I'm like, oh, Jesus, what did I do? So I get off. He goes, why didn't you tell me you were up for an Emmy Award? I said, well, because it was really no big deal. I want to – he goes, you should have been at the awards tonight. I said, ah, there's no reason for me to be at the awards tonight. He goes, I want to do this. Well, you won, and I'm like, I did, <laughs> and I, I'm convinced that that I think I did a good job for the the five games I did it, but I think that's what got me the pre and post game job, good pre timing. and post game job. I no play by play the first year, mm-hmm. but I did the pre and post game. I built this studio in my basement, so on the road games I did it at, at home. I still have the ISDN line. I still have all the ISDN equipment in my basement because I think it's going to come back one day. I have no idea why. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a couple of years later, started doing some play-by-play. Eventually, the Mets called for me to do the full season, the full game, play-by-play. I couldn't turn it down. Was there for two years when David Montgomery called me and said, I know you're in the middle of your contract, but we'd like you to come back to do TV. I was like, David, I haven't done TV since the minor leagues. He said, well, we need somebody to eventually replace Harry when he retires. And he goes, and we've all talked, including Harry, and we want it to be you. And I originally said no because I was only in New York for two years. I felt like there was a disloyalty. Anyway, my partners in New York, my part, my old partners in Philadelphia all told me I was crazy, that I had to take it. And that's why I took it to come back to Philadelphia. And that's how I became eventually the, uh, you know, doing the television games. 
I actually do that uh, pre and post you were talking about from this very spot when the uh, <laughs> where I am right now. And the Phil's mm. on the road right now. But the Flyers, was I was in Utica doing the Devils, as we said earlier. Uh, they were leaving town, and they weren't taking anybody with them. So I was basically losing my job. Uh, and at that point, I was 30 years old, been married for about a year and a half. It was crossroads time for me. So I mm. sent tapes to the two expansion teams in Anaheim and Florida that year uh, and got a nibble from Anaheim. In fact, they called me back and said, you know, you're in the final grouping. Uh, and at that time, we were playing in the playoffs. The Devils, they lost their last game. And I'll never forget the bus ride back home. It was from Rochester to Utica, which is about a two-and-a-half-hour bus ride. And the coach had gotten done telling the players. He called them all up to his seat there and said, hey, what are you doing for the summer? Here's your workout regimen, all that stuff. He got done a little early, so he sees me sitting there, and he says, come on over. So it was Robbie Fatorik, who was quite a mm-hmm. character. And I sat down next to him, and I'll clean this up. But, you know, <laughs> there, there were expletives. But he says, so what are you doing? And I said, well, I've sent tapes to the two expansion teams. He goes, what about all the other teams? And I said, well, if I hear about openings, I'll, I'll send the tapes there. He goes, send them anyway. Send tapes <laughs> to every <laughs> single team. And I actually took him up on that. I kind of had to. He was really demonstrative. But And I sent tapes. He would have beat you up, DJ. <laughs> I think he would have. <laughs> uh, so he sent, I sent tapes to all the teams, and nothing really happened over the next month or so. I got in a negotiation with, with the Ducks. I took a job with the Colonial Hockey League team selling and praying that I wasn't going to be doing that through the whole season. Uh, and then all of a sudden, I get a call from Mark Piazza of the Flyers. I was literally on the phone with Ken Wilson of the, the Mighty Ducks when Mark Piazza, I mean, here I am, you, go, you guys know, you go years and years without a bite or yeah. anything. And I'm literally on the phone with one NHL team, and I get the old slip there saying Mark Piazza Flyers on the, the other line from the secretary. I'm like, what is this about? And basically, I, I got on the phone. Mark said, come on down for an interview, and we'll see. I know you're talking to the Ducks. He already knew. Um, I went down, and they, they were basically they were really good. He basically said, we really like your tape. And, uh, and he said to me, unless you spit in the face of the team president in our uh, lunch here, you probably got the job. And I said, wow. <laughs> I went back, and by the time I got to Utica, got back to Utica to my office, they already had a contract that had been faxed there. So they, wow, they went great. really fast. And I could have been out in Anaheim. And I, my thought always was that Lindros was in Philadelphia. The Flyers are going to win a cup before the Ducks. That didn't turn out right. The Mighty Ducks have won a cup, <laughs> uh, at least the Ducks. And, and the Flyers haven't quite yet. But uh, certainly don't regret the decision. I've loved my time That's here. Cool. The, That's cool. That's cool. organization. Yeah. For the people out there, the, the kids, they always say, do the tapes really work? Do the reels work? I mean, yes. does really see them? I'm, I'm living proof. I had no contacts at all with the Flyers whatsoever. I had no in at all. My tape alone got me. Uh, the door open doesn't always happen that way for sure but it can happen that way so don't lose hope dreams come to reach at wilmington university wilm u helps working adults reach their career goals through accredited and affordable degrees and certificates to reach new heights in your field wilm u works find out why at wilmu.edu so i i want to touch on one last thing and i think as we all sit here in the comfort of our homes and listen to the news, it would be irresponsible for us to even take a wild guess as to what's going to happen to our respective yeah. sports. But I want you to peer, let's say, a year from now. Let's take April 1st of 2021. And as I think about 9-11 and how that changed our world as it relates to not only security at the airports, but security at arenas and, and, what, and whatnot, how do you guys anticipate that this coronavirus thing, once we get past it in some form or fashion, is going to change the way you do your job and, and change the way your sport's presented? Boy, that's a great question, Mark. Um, 
Uh, first and foremost, um, I'm, I, I look into the future and, and know we're going to have a vaccine. Uh, that's the biggest thing. Uh, the other thing is I know that there are kids that would love to do what we do, but there's also a lot of kids that I hope will become scientists and become doctors and become nurses because of the people that are going to change our lives in the next year or so. Uh, I think from our standpoint, if we didn't have an appreciation for sports or for what we did, um, we definitely do now. And I think that will it be full crowds? I hope there is. I hope there are. I don't know if there will be um, because I think it's changed us forever. It changed the way we're going to gather with people and friends and family members. Um, my hope is, is that yeah, we're going to be back to normal fully and we're going to have a full full house at Citizens Bank Park and opening day in 2021. Um, whether it's that way or not, I don't know. But I do think that, you know, we have a better appreciation for what's what's ahead of us uh, or what was behind us as we move ahead of us, too. Yeah, well put, T-Mac. I mean, short term, the NHL is going to run out of time if we're talking June, July to get the playoffs in i mean uh, you, you could probably play as late as july into maybe early august but that's pushing it uh long term it's about the vaccine i think when that and it will be it's a when it's not an if it's a when and i'm hearing i heard today it could be as soon as a year uh that hopefully we get back to some sense of normalcy zoo you're right will always be changed i think there's going to be some kind of social distancing that we will all have to because there's going to be another virus that's going to come along, right? There will be hopefully not another pandemic, but there are going to be other viruses that come along. So uh, in that sense, we'll all be changed. But I do think as we move along and we, we get over the fear and the vaccine will certainly help with that, that the fans will come back and we'll get back to, to some sense of, of sporting events being what they are. And what I think, as you alluded to, T-Mac, we all learned through all this, that while we aren't vital, uh, we're important because I'm sure missing watching a Sixers game on a day off from the Flyers yeah. or uh, obviously not not uh, having open opening day for the Phillies and the Flyers and, and football hasn't been affected yet too much. But if it rolls into that season, my Sundays will certainly be different. So uh, sports are important for a getaway. I mean, life is about work. Life is about serious things, but life's also about getting away and having fun. And a lot of people have fun with sports and and we've all missed it during this this stretch. And one quick thing, Zoo, you talked about you thought you'd always be a newsman. Do either of you guys still, when, when a big national event happens such as this or or you know, a presidential election or something, do you ever get that tinge like, ah, I kind of wish I was in news? Sometimes mm. I do. I, I like, I'd like to be a newsman, but I don't know if I'd want to do it every day for a long period. But I do at some time feel like, well, I'm only calling sports. How important is that? These news guys, they have the important jobs. But at the same time, as we just said, sports that they do serve a very important purpose too right so I'm, I'm going to answer the news part of your of your question first and say this as a former newsman i used to love election night because it was wall-to-wall mm -hmm. -wall stuff and everybody was into it and your words were that much more important and now of course as a news person in a perverted sort of way this is you don't want to say a dream come true it's been a nightmare for people and uh, i don't even want to go into all the safety issues and 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 illnesses and that sort of thing but from a news person's perspective, I mean, this is a 24-hour thing, and you are constantly put under that pressure and, and having to perform and get new information and whatnot. In terms of my sport, one of the things that I thought about was the possibility that uh, things could go back to normal in stages. 
that maybe, yes, the games are played, but maybe at first, uh, you know, without a crowd or a limited crowd, maybe everybody's going to have to get tested in order to participate. So you have the athletes, the coaches, support personnel, the broadcasters, and maybe that's the way it starts. But, um, I, I, Jimmy, I think it was you who said that just the greater – you actually both said it in some way, that the greater appreciation we'll have for sports, yeah. what it means to our society, and, of course, it's it's our livelihood as well. Um, let me just say that um, I, I had a lot of respect for you guys and what it is that you do and great admiration, but even more so now that I've had a chance to chat with you. And hopefully we'll do our uh, play-by-play podcast again and hopefully under different circumstances. That would be great. I'm all for that, yeah. Yeah, we should, all right, we should guys. Do, it, uh, do it again and uh, we'll have actual sports to talk about. Yeah. That would be good. Yeah. All right, guys, take care. Be healthy. You too. You too, Zip.